0: And so I think that's enough about Djinn. Let us now talk about the city of Martek so we can get back to the tale of how the halfling Ludwig Brambledown found me there and then our very uh, eventful journey back in the shadows of the Atalan Mountains through the desert to the harbours of al Haik. The wealthy and ancient Arabian city of Martek lies to the northernmost point of the Atalan mountain range, known locally as the Chuan-el-Atlan. It is surrounded by the cliffs and plateaus of the nearby mountains and thus sheltered from the terrible winds of the desert. The city itself is located at the mouth of the northern portion of the mountain range, and thus is an important trading hub for caravans from both the south and north, as well as the hardy few who brave the desert in the east. In Martek, you can find anything. They have it all, from local wares to more exotic items from overseas. Many of the latter come from plunder taken by the Corsairs of the Tylian Sea and beyond, and traded with the tribes along the northern coasts. The former tend to be obtained through conventional trading, many of these trickling their way north along the trading route that stretches all the way down to the port of El Calabad. Martek is a hive of activity from dawn till dusk and throughout the night, although the uh, nature of said activity... Changes depending on the hour, from uh, innocuous to downright sinister. Now, it was after eight months in the desert with the Tuareg Warband that I had joined that we eventually ended up in Martek. And despite having been a nomad in the desert those long months, I never saw as many other nomads as I did that first day entering the city. And the reason, before you ask, Heinrich. Well... It's this. It actually lies close to, although slightly to the northwest of, the original lands of the Tuareg. As such, it is a touchstone for each of the various Tuareg warbands that wander the lands. And, irrespective of how far they travel, they will always come back to trade in Martek at some point. It is, uh, traditional, let's say. Anyway, we approach from the north, slowly making our way towards the main gate and the largest of the four entrances into the city. It was getting close to dusk, and all was bathed in an orange glow, tinged by pinks and reds. The setting sun made the billowing plumes of smoke that continually swirled up from the city skyline, rather aptly as it happens, dark and somewhat foreboding. After so long in the wilderness... The sight of man's industry jarred on my senses and brought dark memories back to the fore. These were not the only things that bestrode the sky, though. As we got closer, I saw numerous flying carpets riding the thermals above the city. Ach, oh, I'd imagine those would be rare sights, bearing in mind how hard it must be to bind an air elemental into one of those things. To be honest, you are quite correct in your assumption. The fact I saw so many is a testament to the immense wealth and power of the Sultan of Martek. It is such that he and uh, his cronies are easily able to attract many powerful sorcerers to take up residency in the city. Anyway, we joined the other disparate warbands who, like us, were weaving their way towards the city. None seemed to be in any rush, though. We saw a group of nomads leading camels, laden with the plundered treasures of ancient Neakara. Another led a large train of slaves, each yoked and linked by a chain to the one behind, and yet another who possessed one of the beasts of the plain of Tuscus, upon whose back were born rolls upon rolls of woven and dyed material. All sought buyers in the streets of Martek, and I've no doubt that each sold their wares in short order. Everything is for sale in Martek, for the buyers are in plentiful supply. But, Master Timekeeper, what is the reason for this great wealth? Ah, well, the answer to that is simple. Mining. For a start, there are salt mines in great abundance, which is traded far and wide and in high demand. That is only the start of it, though, for the real treasure comes as a result of the Atlam Mountains being one of the outlying mountain chains that were once part of the dwarves' original homeland. And they are well known as a rich source of iron, gold, and gemstones. Wait wait a moment, Master Tavernkeeper. Are you saying that the dwarves originated in the Southlands? Indeed I am. Didn't you know? Ah, I, I can see you didn't. Well, what happened was this. The riches of the Southlands were not enough for the ancient dwarves, and they ended up migrating northwards along the spine of the world's edge of mountains, in search of new veins and deposits of precious metals and gems to mine and eventually they settled in the old world proper at this time the dwarven kingdoms covered the entirety of the world's edge mountains from the southernmost point of the southlands to the top of the world as well as enclaves in the gray and black mountains and also in the lands that would eventually become our empire anyway i digress As a result of all these riches in the mountains that protect the southern side of the city, Martek has become disgustingly rich. There are numerous old dwarf mines still in existence, and these have been put into use and extended. It's dangerous business, though, mind you. The dwarf structures are as strong as the mountains themselves, but the newer underground shafts and overground quarries are... Unsafe, to put it lightly. Thus, as with so much in Araby, it is the slave population who are forced to work the seams and veins. Life expectancy for these is not high, and the guards and the torturers are particularly vigilant and cruel. It is these practices that are the root of the phrase, the blood gems of Martek, as they're called which are so named as they are the riches gained through the hardship, death and torturous existence of the slave population. In reality, it is this enslaved workforce that truly finances the city and whose existence is the evil seed of its power and reach. At the pinnacle of this pyramid of exploitation sits the Sultan of Martek himself, And, as I'm sure you can imagine, his power and wealth is considerable. The city's Sultan is also the foci and enabler of the small cohort of sinister individuals who pull the strings of the various marionettes of the metropolis. But they are one of two things that cast a shadow over the fiery skyline. For the city's wealth is not the only bottomless thing in the city. Martek is built upon a bottomless lake called Fazoth-Ar by the uh, locals, from which it draws its water, but also of which it is said that sinister forces dwell. Although I found no one who would say any more on the subject until I met a drunken beggar in one of the alleys of the main thoroughfare of the city.
1: He told me this. Thank you, Outlander. Let me repay your kindness with a little knowledge. Amongst the common folk, there is a dark legend about the lake. On dark, moonless nights, many say that Hairy humanoids with rat faces spring forth from the ground to carry away the drunk and the lost off into the darkness never to be seen again. They call these beasts the Scully. Do not smirk so. Rather be wary, my friend. The scuodi are real by chance can I sell you some desert herbs to fend off these night runners? Oh, yeah, now those
0: sound like a scaven to me. My thoughts exactly, and uh, I didn't take him up on his offer. I was pretty sure my two Cathayan knives would be far better at dealing with these uh, scooly. Anyway, just before this strange chance meeting, we had happened to have just negotiated our way through the largest of the great gates. It, like all four of the gates, was guarded by some of the Sultan's guards, but after some sweet talking by our new leader Urusik and a few bribes, we had been allowed to enter the city unmolested with our lives, our wares, and our weapons intact. But uh, to be honest, though, we could have simply scaled the fairly low city wall at a point far away from the gates. But uh, that came with much greater risk than the guards provided. For we would have found ourselves in one of the squalid shanty towns that rings the city proper. It is not the jinn, as in Al Hayik, or fleets of corsairs, as in Lashik, that protect Martek. No, rather it is these dangerous slums that act as both a shield and a moat to the city. Any army that intended to invade Martek, upon breaching the walls, would find themselves in this crowded maze of makeshift buildings, tents and what-not. Oh, so not unlike the tent city of Bolahat back in Albion then? Ah, yes. According to your descriptions earlier, I very much believe it is. The walls of the city of Martek are really there to keep out the beasts of the surrounding Atlam mountains. These beasts, though, are both a blessing and a curse. Obviously, They are a danger to any who cross their path, and fending off the attacks of these beasts keeps the sultan's guards busy throughout the year, and also occupies the thoughts and time of a great many of the nobles of the city. These, though, actually invest a great deal of their resources into capturing them, rather than simply trying to eliminate them. Indeed, Foremost amongst these is the current Sultan himself. In fact, he has a large and exotic private zoo that claims to have examples of beasts from every known species in the region. Anyway, I'll talk more about all these when I get onto my journey back to al Haik with old uh, Ludwig, as I have a, a few anecdotes that are worth relating. For the moment, let's just say that uh, these... Fierce and exotic creatures are highly valued in both the marketplace and then on the battlefield in the armies of Araby. However, it is not just large beasties that are of worth in the bazaars of the city. Poisonous scorpions such as the stalkers, venomous snakes and deadly beetles are exceedingly common both in the city itself and in the stalls that line the narrow streets. Cedric, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, but such a wealth of nefarious ingredients at one's fingertips attracts alchemists and poisoners from all over the world. Ugh! it definitely sounds like my kind of place. Maybe I'll have to organise myself a trip down that way. I'd be happy to join you if I can only find someone to look after the tavern in the interim. Anyway, back to how the slums that surround the city act as a bulwark. Essentially, it is this. Any sort of conventional cavalry would find themselves scarcely able to move upon breaching the walls. The infantry, too, would find their formations cracked and split up as they themselves were forced single file into ambushes. Even... Magical aerial creatures would find little place to land. It would not stop the most determined of foes, but would certainly slow them down long enough for them to be dealt with. And, uh, yeah, how would a city deal with such, may I ask? Ah, <laughs> you can take the soldier out of the army, but you can't take the army out of the soldier, eh? That is a very astute question, my dear. Night. Well, Martak has what we could describe as clandestine defences. The upper echelons of the city's society is a dog-eat-dog world of murder and ascension, death and defeat, assassination and elimination, be it by poison or blade. Accident or duel are parts of regular daily business there. And... Business is booming. The powerful, for lack of a better word, aristocratic families are more akin to criminal syndicates. But these clans keep each other in check through constant infighting and the maintenance of small private armies and assassins. It is these, leaping from the shadows, that any would-be invaders would have to deal with in addition to the legion of bandits and cutthroats that invest the slums. And not only that, each of the rival factions within the city also has nomadic allies out in the deserts to the east and the mountains to the south. This complex web of intrigue and information keeps those at the top abreast of everything that is going on and allows them to swiftly chop and change their alliances and enemies, as the political landscape of who is strong and who is weak itself changes. And actually, it was as a result of this constant intrigue by the masters of Martek, and the fact that their collective fingers were ever on the pulse of the Great Game, as many of them call it, that saw them quickly ally with Jafar in the last century, and survive the turbulent times that his reign brought. As a part of his nascent empire, their resources were used to finance his military campaigns. In recompense, he pretty much left them to govern themselves as they always had. After the fall of the tyrant and the calamitous end of his rule, the besieging crusaders found themselves in a game of attrition with the city as they attempted to unseat the ruling sultan. But they were never able to take Martek, and in the end, a cessation of hostilities on both sides was negotiated. The siege was lifted, but in return, the city had to free all of its old world slaves. This was a high price. It was uh, not an insignificant number, you see. And after the Crusades, although the city ostensibly returned to normal, it suffered from numerous economic problems until the slave cages that serviced the mines were replenished. This taking a couple of decades of hard work by the corsair fleets of La Anyway, more on the Crusades and their aftermath later. Let us now get back to the story of how the halfling Ludwig Brambledown came to be in Martek and find me.